I believe we need a constitutional amendment that protects the right to vote for every American citizen and to make sure that vote gets counted. Radical. Well, I don't know why I came here tonight. She's a socialist. I got the feeling that something right. Everyone's supposed to vote. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. Commie. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Here I am. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, in Round Mountain, California on KKRN, and in Eureka, California on KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ in Cottage Grove on KSO and in Eugene on KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU in Columbus, Ohio on WGRN. Palinville, New York's WLPP, Grand Rapids, WPRR. In New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, Concord, New Hampshire's WNHN. In Fayetteville, Arkansas, on KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX. Goldendale, Washington's KVGD. Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR. And in Minneapolis, St. Paul, on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the internets for you. On the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com. Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR, Revolution 99, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Thank you one and all for joining us as we blanket planet Earth five days a week. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com. As usual, just trying to keep up with it all with the uh, help of my um, trusted confidant, Desiree Doyen. <laughs> How are you, producer, Desiree? producer, yes. Oh, I'm yeah. doing all right. Whatever. I am here for okay. whatever it's worth. <laughs> well, uh, you are here. You're here a lot today uh, because we will uh, actually discuss this a bit more in today's uh, Green News report coming up a little bit later, which is filled, by the way, with almost nothing but disaster. Fossil fuel-related disasters, one after another, but also some kids around the globe who skipped school last Friday to try and save it. But with a a devastating disaster right now unfolding in about a half a dozen states in the Midwest, or Trump country, as some like to call it, uh, I want to underscore a a few more details than we have time for in today's six-minute GNR, yes. if that's okay, because it is, this is bad. Uh, Vice President Mike Pence is traveling to Nebraska today to survey damage from flooding in the Midwest. Not Trump, by the way, but Mike Pence. So I guess the disaster's not that bad. Well, I guess they're not red enough for him so that he doesn't want to actually waste his time there. Or maybe it is that bad. And so therefore they don't want to have Donald <laughs> Trump go there and embarrass yeah, everyone. That's a good point. Um, in any event, uh, at least three people so far have died and dozens of levees have been overtopped or collapsed or are threatened. Now in about half a dozen states, including Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa, South Dakota, Michigan, and Illinois, 
Uh, White House Press Secretary Sarah Sanders tweeted that uh, Donald Trump requested Pence go Tuesday to the Midwest to see the damage. Sanders says Pence will be joined by Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts and Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds. First stop is apparently in Omaha, Nebraska, where the president of the Nebraska Farm Bureau estimates farm and ranch losses could reach $1 billion. Steve Nelson estimates $400 million in crop losses because of crops that will be planted late due to the flooding, if they are planted at all. He also estimates up to $500 million in livestock losses from the floods. Yeah. Uh, that would be dead cattle, essentially. Yes. Killed yeah, in the floods. There were a number of uh, ranching families who were interviewed who said that they raced to get out the calves that had just been born and were not able to walk very far, and they were unable to. It was came down to a choice between saving their children or saving their calves. And that, by the way, is only in Nebraska that we're talking about here, and only from the Nebraska Farm Bureau. Never mind all the losses to house property, all of the other stuff. And again, only in Nebraska, there is a huge amount of water working its way down uh, the Missouri River and into the Mississippi uh, in Missouri and Iowa and some of the other states I mentioned. The Nebraska city of Fremont was uh, walled off by the flooding. Local residents had to get airlifted out of there from private pilots who were offering free flights to shuttle people to and from their own hometown. Governor Pete Ricketts said in a news release on Tuesday there have been disasters with greater loss of life, he said, but, quote, I don't think there's ever been a disaster this widespread in Nebraska. He says 65 of the state's 93 counties are now under emergency declarations. The Missouri River was forecast to crest on Thursday at 11 and a half feet above flood stage down in St. Joseph, Missouri. That's the uh, third highest on record there. More than 100 roads are closed in the state, including growing sections of Interstate 29 in nearby Atchison County, Missouri, floodwaters knocked out a larger uh, section of an already busted levee overnight, making the village of Watson as well unreachable. According to Mark Manchester, the county's deputy director of emergency management, uh, Manchester said officials believe everyone got out before thousands of more acres were flooded. But he said so many roads are now closed that some residents must travel more than 100 miles out of their way to get to their jobs at the Cooper Nuclear Station in Nebraska. Yeah, remember those so, nuclear plants that are in danger of getting flooded? And gosh, remember Fukushima? They got flooded? See, lots uh, of stuff going on. And and because it's a nuclear station, they can't necessarily call in sick for work. Hey, we can't get there because we can't travel there. So they're adding 100 miles to their commute, uh, presumably each way. River flooding has also surrounded a northern Illinois neighborhood with water, prompting residents to have to escape in boats. People living in the Illinois village of Roscoe say children have walked through high floodwaters, which can't be all that clean, no, by the way. No, they're definitely not. They're supposed to, if they at all can, at all possibly stay out of the water. It's filled with toxic goop. They are uh, walking through that, those uh, high floodwaters or kayaking in order to catch school buses amid the uh, flooding along the Rock River, flooding along rivers in western Michigan. 
has uh, also damaged dozens of homes and businesses. So uh, hopefully our listeners on WPRR are safe today. But then there's this, which we also talk about briefly in today's GNR a bit later. But I want to offer a few more details. Flooding at a U.S. Air Force base in Nebraska that damaged buildings and forced the removal of a plane integral to the uh, to the nation's nuclear attack response highlights the risks that climate change poses to national security, according to experts in this Reuters report. U.S. President Donald Trump has repeatedly questioned whether humans cause climate change and has been angered by assessments from his own military and his own intelligence agencies that say that the phenomenon poses national security risks. And just from what we've covered alone here so far, uh, that we're talking about people having trouble getting to their nuclear plant to go to work because of the flooding and because of these Air Force bases that have had to uh, evacuate these uh, planes that are crucial to national security, you would think that would be enough to convince any reasonable person that, oh, yeah, you know what, maybe what these people are warning us about climate change being a national security risk, maybe we ought to pay attention. But then again, we're talking about Donald Trump, not actually a reasonable person. Last week's bomb cyclone, as it's called, a uh, storm uh, that flooded about 60 structures, including 30, 30 buildings at the Offutt Air Force Base in Nebraska. Uh, according to uh, Ryan Hansen, he's a spokesman for the 55th Air Wing, a unit providing reconnaissance, intelligence and combat support. Eight planes in the 55th wing had to leave the base, Hansen said, and workers might not be able to assess damage to hangars and maintenance buildings for another week. One of the planes was a Boeing-made E-4B plane. That is one of four that the Air Force has that are meant to serve as an aerial command center in the case of national emergency or destruction of ground bases, such as in a nuclear attack. Well, national emergency, shouldn't that be plane flying over the U.S.-Mexico border right around now, after all? It's a national emergency, Donald Trump tells us. Uh, two E-4Bs were also damaged by a tor another tornado at uh, Offutt in 2017. So that's a lot of damage to our military bases in the Midwest for just some crazy reason, I guess. Who knew? Just a coincidence. The Omaha, the Omaha World Herald reports that in Nebraska, the floodwaters inundated two military facilities. That's the Offutt Air Force Base and the Nebraska National Guard's Camp Ashland. After a major flood in 2015 that was characterized as a once-in-a-thousand-years event, the National Guard installed new floodgates at Camp Ashland, according to the Omaha World Herald. But the apparatus apparently didn't work so well against this newest flood. The uh, water was reportedly five feet high inside one of the site's buildings, which were supposed to be protected by these uh, by this levee, this floodgate that was built for a, a once-in-a-thousand-year flood that seems to happen every year or two now, doesn't it? Surprise! Specialist Lisa Crawford, a spokesman for the Nebraska National Guard, told the paper that, uh, quote, it appears the floodgates were not very effective because the sheer amount of water was much greater. This is the first time they've really been tested. Well, it looks like they failed that test. 
Francesco Femia, the uh, co-founder of the Center for Climate and Security, said the flooding shows that the White House needs to let the military do its job in assessing the climate threat. Uh, this is a uh, an example of a vital threat to our national security from a climate-related disaster, and more of this kind of thing is likely in the future, according to FEMIA. While flooding from storm surges linked to climate change that could damage sensitive electronics and mechanical equipment have long threatened U.S. naval bases like Norfolk, Virginia, on the coast due to sea rise and so forth, Offutt is uh, in Nebraska is a reminder that climate change also poses risks to bases that are far from the sea. Offutt is also home, by the way, to STRATCOM. That would be Strategic Command, which oversees the country's nuclear arsenal. Stephen Young, the Washington uh, rep of the Global Security Program at the Union of Concerned Scientists, which advocates for investment in uh, protecting bases from climate change threats, said, quote, given the president's denial of climate change, I don't know if ironic is the word to capture how strange it would be for the results of climate change to adversely impact the president's ability to control U.S. nuclear weapons in a crisis. But, yeah, that is kind of where we are. And by the way, since I mentioned the national emergency, remember that money that Donald Trump wants to take from the military and apply it to the non-national emergency down on the southern border to build a wall. He's talking about taking money from military bases, from construction at military bases. Projects like this, projects that are going to be needed now to clean up these uh, uh, flooded military bases in Nebraska. That's the money he's talking about diverting to building a wall that nobody actually thinks we need. The White House has considered forming a panel to assess the science used in government climate risk reports uh, that uh, they doubt they doubt those reports. So uh, the White House is going to put together its own panel to be headed by a retired physics professor, not a climatologist. No, he's an expert in lasers. Is that what he's expert in? Yes. Lasers? Yes, he's an expert in lasers. Well, maybe they could use some lasers to... Pew, pew, pew! <laughs> shoot climate change out of the sky. shoot it out of the sky. Don't, you don't make fun. You don't know. That could work. Uh, so, yeah, so this guy, um, he's going to head this uh, this this panel uh, and this this particular guy, the laser guy, he actually believes the greenhouse gas emissions are good for the planet because CO2, he argues, helps plants to grow. The guy would be named uh, William Happer. He's a climate science denier. And The Washington Post reported last month. Uh, citing a National Security Council discussion paper that it had obtained that um, the White House staff are preparing an executive order for Donald Trump's signature that would establish this presidential committee on climate security to be chaired by this notorious climate change denier. He is a senior director at the National Security Council. Uh, his name is William Happer, and he argued on CNBC back in 2014 that the demonization of carbon dioxide is just like totally the same as the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. You made a comment back in 2009 comparing climate change to the Holocaust. Um, and my question is, are you suggesting when you made that comment uh, that climatologists and climate scientists 
are the equivalent of Hitler and Nazis? I mean, that, that's what it seems like you were trying to say. You know, you know, I get called a denier, and all, anyone who uh, objects to all of the hype gets called a denier. That's supposed to make me a Holocaust denier. You know, I'm getting tired of that. And uh, the, the comment I made was uh, the demonization of carbon dioxide is just like the demonization of the poor Jews under Hitler. Carbon dioxide is a, actually a benefit to the world, and so were the Jews. So, uh, okay, uh, Dr. Happer, I won't call you a climate change, a, a Holocaust denier. I'll just call you a climate change denier. Because you are. Because <laughs> you are. So I, I'm, I'm glad that he was able to clear up that confusion, however, in uh, on CNBC there with Aaron Ross Sorkin a few years back. Uh, Happer's views have apparently gotten no less extreme since then. He was originally under consideration to be Trump's science advisor back in early 2017. And at that time, he sent an email to uh, to a Jezebel reader asserting that the, quote, demonization of CO2 really differs little from the Nazi persecution of the Jews, the Soviet extermination of class enemies or the ISIS slaughter of infidels. Maybe he needs a new metaphor to try to make his point. I'm not sure that he's doing himself any favor. You're with telling these Dr. Hitler Happer he's doing it comparisons. wrong. Yeah, kind of. It's a denial. Yeah, kind of. Uh, Media Matters has detailed how Happer, uh, who is a retired Princeton professor, again not trained as a climate scientist, but a physicist, a laser guy, uh, he has tried uh, unsuccessfully to conceal the fact that. Fossil fuel interests have directly funded his quote-unquote research. Shocking, I know. The Post's report uh, about the White House's new panel is the latest indication that Trump, the Trump administration is trying to actively mislead the public on the well-established science of climate change, reports Aaron Rupar over at Vox. Uh, and again, what's going on here is a response to Donald Trump's own military, his own military, which he used to pretend to revere. We need to listen to our generals. Um, that is why they're putting together this panel to contest Donald Trump's own military and intelligence assessments. As Vox's Umer Irfan and Alex Ward have reported, many agencies in the executive branch of Trump's own government have been warning the president and the American people of the severe threats of rising carbon dioxide levels in the atmosphere, which Happer says is a good thing. By the way, uh, he says it's a good thing because it, it helps plants grow. So the more carbon dioxide the better the plants grow, the bigger they grow, the better the crops. Isn't that, his, know, isn't that his argument? That, that's the argument that he is making. However, it's a disingenuous, bad faith argument because he knows, or at least he should know, that too much CO2 actually retards plant growth. Too much CO2 actually reduces the nutritional content of the food that we eat, makes it less nutritious, and too much CO2 causes these extreme weather events that we have, makes them more intense. So, yeah, plants have a hard time growing under climate change conditions with droughts and floods like in Nebraska and heat waves that can kill them. So, yeah, too much CO2 is a big problem. So uh, now you're a laser scientist? <laughs> is that what you're trying to say, Desi Doyle? No, I'll leave up the oh. pew, pew, pew to him. Okay. 
Yeah. And, and by the way, uh, you know, if, if your uh, farmland is completely flooded so that you can't put in your crops, yeah. that kind of doesn't help the crops. Exactly. Nor does it help them if they're wiped out in wildfires. Exactly. According to the administration's own national climate assessment released just last November, quote, the impacts and costs of climate change are already being felt in the U.S. and changes in the likelihood or severity of some recent extreme weather events can now be attributed to human caused warming. Asked about the national climate assessment by a reporter in November, Trump flatly said, quote, I don't believe it. Neither, apparently, does he believe the uh, assessment from the Pentagon in January when they released a report detailing the national security threat that was posed by climate change. Weeks later, the intelligence community released its own annual consensus world threat assessment, echoing the Pentagon's findings that climate change is a major threat, noting climate hazards such as extreme weather, high temperatures, droughts, floods, wildfires, storms, sea level rise, soil degradation, and acidification of the oceans are intensifying. And by the way, uh, they are intensifying. All of those things that, uh, that I just rattled off, these are things that we have been covering on a regular basis now uh, for years, but certainly on an increased basis over the past year on this show and on the Green News Report. Every yep. single one of those disasters. It says, uh, again, the intelligence community says it threatens infrastructure, health and water and food security Irreversible damage to ecosystems and habitats will undermine the economic benefits they provide, worsened by air, soil, water, and marine pollution. Uh, or more CO2 makes plants grow bigger. Am I right, William Except Happer? Except when it doesn't. Pew, pew. <laughs> The uh, National Security Council uh, discussion paper that was obtained by The Washington Post about the uh, new panel suggests that it would be created with an eye towards muddying the waters about the Pentagon and intelligence community's scientific findings. So it would be meant to refute the government's own military warnings. The uh, paper acknowledges that a number of federal government reports have concluded climate change is a major threat goes on to claim, quote, these scientific and national security judgments have not undergone a rigorous, independent and adversarial scientific peer review to examine the certainties and uncertainties of climate science, as well as implications for national security. So basically, they're saying that all of these reports that are put out by all of these uh, agencies, U.S. Uh, military uh, uh, intelligence, scientific agency, as well as the reports from the uh, UN's uh, IPCC, which has to be signed off by uh, signed off on by every country in on the globe, including the U.S., that those have not been rigorous enough. They have not been challenged enough. So that's what Donald Trump's going to do with the laser guy heading up this uh, challenge, uh, given Happer's views. As Vox notes, there's little doubt that he'll indulge Trump if he wants to use the panel to deny the well-established science of climate change. In doing so, the consequences are grave. He would further imperil the U.S. and future generations everywhere. Or, as Donald Trump likes to say, make America great again. You know, no wonder he does not want to go to Nebraska and Missouri and Iowa and see the damage that is being caused there. 
Speaking of uh, actually uh, making America great again, or at least trying to, or at least not embarrassing um, and causing a grave threat to the entire world that it has become to this uh, under this presidency, the 2020 elections are coming. If not soon enough for me, Senator Elizabeth Warren of uh, Democrat of Massachusetts, she uh, listed her voting rights priorities to raucous applause on Monday at a CNN town hall held in Jackson, Mississippi. She hit a crescendo with her call to get rid of the Electoral College. I believe we need a constitutional amendment that protects the right to vote for every American citizen and to make sure that vote gets counted. We need to put some federal muscle behind that. And we need to repeal every one of the voter suppression laws that is out there right now. And I'll tell you one more. We need to make sure that every vote counts. And and I want to I want to push that right here in Mississippi, because I think this is an important point. You know, come a general election, presidential candidates don't come to places like Mississippi. Yeah, they also have Massachusetts, right? Because we're not the battleground states. Well, my view is that every vote matters. And the way we can make that happen is that we can have national voting, and that means get rid of the Electoral College and everybody. Everybody. I think everybody ought to have to come and ask for your vote. What do you think? Yeah. That was uh, Democratic presidential candidate Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts. And we had a sort of a hiccup there, a part of the audio. She said that they uh, that presidential candidates don't come to Mississippi to ask for votes, uh, nor do they go to California or her home state of Massachusetts because they're not considered swing states. So, uh, So she's calling to make sure that every vote counts. I'm with her on that. Uh, I wish she had said, you know, by ensuring that every voter has a right to a hand marked paper ballot that can actually be verified as reflecting each voter's intent after an election. But that's OK. She can't hit everything. Can't do everything in one uh, in, in one uh, sound clip there. Uh, as to getting rid of the Electoral College, obviously, that's a very popular idea in Jackson, Mississippi at least in that town hall. And I know a lot of Democrats are in favor of that idea. I should say I'm a bit more agnostic on this just to uh, add to my unpopularity here among the uh, world, Uh, (laughs) which we'll get to in a second when we talk about daylight savings time and some of the email I received after yesterday's show. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, uh, so I'm uh, I just just to let you know I'm a bit more agnostic on the electoral college. It I it, I know it's uh, not a popular position, but I do have some concerns about getting rid of the electoral college. It I I know that it is harder for Democrats to win in the electoral college, no matter what it is that Donald Trump says, 
because of the way it's uh, it's structured in the Constitution, which was uh, basically meant to keep the uh, presidential vote from being a popular vote uh, and to help protect slavery. I won't go into those details. So um, there's not a lot of good reasons at this point for the Electoral College, although one of the reasons that I'm concerned about seeing it go away is, um, you know, if there is a problem in the count after a presidential election, a problem that we actually pay attention to and look into, for example, had we bothered to actually count ballots in Wisconsin or Michigan in 2016 or examine the, the voting systems in Pennsylvania and found in any of those cases that they were in some fashion manipulated by someone to produce the count that they did. Unfortunately, we weren't allowed to examine those systems in Pennsylvania. We weren't al allowed to hand count the paper ballots in Wisconsin and Michigan. But had we been able to and found out that, yes, one of those states had been corrupted in some fashion, one or more, well, we could simply remove them from the Electoral College total and still had a successful presidential election. Had that been the case in uh, Ohio in 2004, had we been allowed to look at the actual ballots that were supposedly tabulated there, or in Florida in 2000. So it's sort of um, a, uh, a firewall, if you will, a water, what are they called it's in Nebraska? A, that, uh, where a barrier? The, uh, well, the one that failed in, uh, at, the, uh, at the Air Force Base. A flood base, wall. A flood wall. Yeah, sort of a flood wall that you can, in fact, sort of segregate, take out a state, and still hold a successful presidential election. So I do have some concerns about that. Um, but by and large, I am I'm largely agnostic. So uh, meaning everyone else can debate this, have it out. Uh, there is a state plan to do it anyway uh, without a constitutional amendment that would be required in order to do away with the Electoral College. There's a, a state plan that wouldn't require such an amendment. It's called the National Popular Vote Interstate Compact or NPVIC. It's an agreement among uh, a group of U.S. states and the District of Columbia to award all of their electoral votes to whichever president I'm sorry, to whichever presidential candidate wins the overall popular vote in the 50 states and uh, the District of Columbia. There's a number of states, I think we're up to 13 now, that have uh, decided to join, have voted to join this interstate compact, including California. So depending on who wins the popular vote across the country, for example, once this uh, compact kicks in, California would then award all of their electoral votes to whoever wins the popular vote, even if in the state. No. Well, all of California's electoral votes right. would go to whoever won the popular vote in the country. So even if the state voted a different way, let's say the state of California voted for the Democratic candidate for a change, but it turns out somehow the Republican candidate ended up winning the popular vote. All of California's electoral votes would go to the Republican. Well, that seems like a problem. 
I guess if you're a Democrat and you're worried about that sort of thing versus a Democrat who, for some reason, isn't worried about that sort of thing because Democrats seem to uh, support this idea. It will only kick in once there are enough states in the compact uh, for a majority of the Electoral College votes, so uh, to get uh, 270 votes. But, you know, it's one of those things that I've been a lot of Democrats support this idea. I kind of, you know, saying, hey, careful what you wish for. Uh, I do remember way back in uh, 2000, remember that election? The concern before Election Day, before everything went to hell in a handbasket down in Florida, the concern was that George W. Bush might win the popular vote, but that Al Gore would win the electoral vote. And, of course, there was talk in 2000 uh, before that election that uh, there was much concern that, oh, no, what would happen if that in that case, if that happened, it would be... uh, a constitutional crisis. George W. Bush won the popular vote and somehow Al Gore became the president. But, you know, it's turned out the other way a couple of times since then, including, as you may remember, in 2016, when the Republican supposedly won the Electoral College, but the Democrat won the popular vote. So in that case, you know, no biggie, no constitutional crisis. Had it been the other way around, a different story. Anyway, uh, but I did want to note that Elizabeth Warren is calling for abolishing the Electoral College. She is not the only one. Uh, We talked a little bit about Pete Buttigieg yesterday, the um, mayor of South Bend, Indiana, 37-year-old mayor there, also openly gay. He's uh, one of, what are we up to, 14 or so Democratic, Democratic presidential candidates right now. He has, uh, as uh, Greg Sargent, who recently interviewed him, said he's uh, struck an earnest and authentic tone on big policy and moral questions, defending the Green New Deal as correct in the scale of its ambitions. We played a little bit of that on air yesterday, his uh, interview on Fox News. Uh, And uh, also by claiming that the way to win moderate voters isn't to project squishy centrism, but rather to offer progressive solutions to real world problems. I agree with Buttigieg there as well. Uh, He had a a viral moment recently in the wake of the New Zealand mosque massacre when he released a a powerful letter to his city. Uh, to his city's Muslim residents, informing them that the city supports and loves them and that they have, quote, an equal claim on the blessings of life in this community. So uh, Sargent interviewed him. Uh, we'll uh, link over to um, Sargent's interview at the uh, Plumline blog over at Washington Post. Uh, but in that, he said that he supports the uh, H.R. 1, which is the uh, the For the People Act. That's that big elections and ethics reform bill that was passed in the U.S. House by Democrats for automatic voter registration, public financing of elections, Election Day as a federal holiday, expansion of early voting, preventing voter purges, uh, requiring every vote in America to have the option to vote on a hand-marked paper ballot, um, endorses D.C. statehood, ends dark money, does a whole bunch of other stuff, requires presidential candidates to release 10 years of tax returns. Um, So he said uh, he agrees with that, that his voting rights agenda is not unlike that, but he wanted to add uh, a, a constitutional reforms as well, potentially measures to enforce the Voting Rights Act in the Constitution. 
and also revisiting the Electoral College. And uh, Greg uh, Sargent asked him, uh, what, what would that look like? He said, the Electoral College has got to go. We need a national popular vote. It would be reassuring from the perspective of believing that we're a democracy, but I also think it would be highly encouraging of voter participation on the national level. Sergeant asked him, that sounds like as president you would try to rally support for a constitutional amendment to, to do away with the Electoral College. Buttigieg says, absolutely, it wouldn't be easy to do overnight, but it would also have the function of reminding everybody that structural reforms are an option and encouraging us to have that level of intellectual ambition. Uh, so there you go, two different presidential candidates calling for the electoral, doing away, abolishing the electoral college. Not sure I agree. Not sure doing away with the electoral college is a good idea, but I know I'm in the, I may be at least in the minority uh, in that regard. All right, speaking of uh, being in the minority, well, no, I think I'm in the majority here, but we've heard from the silent minority who is totally wrong about daylight savings time. We'll uh, get to some of those letters and the Green News Report. All of that's coming up straight ahead. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. Hi, this is Brad. My thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate to sign up for a subscription to the Bradcast of any amount you like. We rely on you to stay on your public airwaves. Please grab a subscription at bradblog.com slash donate. Thank you. It's lost something kind of crucial. Yeah. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from Bradblog.com. That's from Godspell, right? Yes, it they is. They rhymed crucial with bushel. Yep. I'll overlook it. Uh, <laughs> welcome back. Uh, some uh, some response to uh, our, our previous shows, actually. I want to get to the Daylight Savings Time in a moment, but uh, from listener The Morrow Family on the Twitters after yesterday's program regarding the lawsuit moving ahead in Connecticut brought by family members of victims killed in, uh, in Newtown at Sandy Hook. Uh, the suit against the Remington gun manufacturer who makes the Bushmaster AR-15 style rifle used in that 2012 massacre. That case, uh, the Connecticut Supreme Court says, yes, it may, in fact, move ahead against the gun manufacturers despite a federal law that uh, indemnifies them in the gun manufacturers in most cases. Uh, she points me to a story at the Riverfront Times in my old uh, hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, by uh, Danny Wisentowski, who says, while Missouri politicians have long tried to outdo each other over pro-gun legislation, the latest bill may be impossible to top a law mandating that every Missouri resident aged 18 to 35 must purchase an AR-15-style rifle. Good Lord. He says, no, this is not the onion. And yes, that's the very weapon targeted by gun reform activists in an ongoing lawsuit filed by families of victims killed in the Sandy Hook massacre introduced last month by state rep Andrew McDaniel, Republican from Deering, Missouri. Let me repeat his name. It is Representative Andrew McDaniel of Deering, Missouri. 
The bill is entitled the McDaniel Militia Act. It would create a state tax credit to function as an incentive for residents not yet strapped with big government's preferred gun, the AR-15, apparently. Uh, They could uh, purchase it and get a tax credit on up to 75% of the gun's cost if this bill were to pass. So that's like a subsidy for gun manufacturers. Correct. Uh, The bill text actually states, quote, any person who qualifies as a resident on August 28, 2019, and who does not own an AR-15 shall have one year to purchase an AR-15. Every resident of this state shall own at least one (laughs) AR-15. This is the actual bill. And it's not his only one. He also, a few days earlier, introduced the McDaniel Second Amendment Act, which requires every person 21 years of age or older who can legally possess a firearm to own a handgun. So they have to own a handgun under the one bill, a pistol, revolver, or other firearm designed to be held in one hand, capable of firing 22 caliber ammo or larger. Uh, or the other bill, they must buy an AR-15. Now, I, I don't know this uh, McDaniels guy, um, but I'll, uh, how much do you want to bet that he was furious about the federal government requiring every citizen to have health insurance and giving them a tax credit to uh, help afford that? So anyway, uh, this is uh, this is actually happening in Missouri now. Happily, it has not. Neither of the bills have been assigned to a committee, much less scheduled for a vote. Uh, Still, Wisentowski notes uh, he's guessing there are plenty of Missouri Republicans kicking themselves in the holster for not thinking of this first. And he (laughs) says Missouri Republicans, because outside of St. Louis, out in the rural rural areas, they don't call it Missouri. They call it Missouri. So, again, his name is Andrew McDaniel of Deering. This is down in the boot hill of Missouri, sort of between uh, Arkansas and Tennessee, Arkansas, Tennessee, Kentucky down there. Uh, I'd say this guy deserves some good competition at the polls in 2020, if you ask me. Yeah, I think uh, it is another example of why it's important to really pay attention to who your state legislators are, because they get elected. Not only do they draw the district maps that will come after the 2020 census that will determine your representation in Congress, but also they have nut bills like this. Uh, Should I uh, move back to my home state and run for that... uh down in the boot hill of Missouri, run for office against Andrew McDaniel of Deering. <laughs> I do love that area of the country down there near the Ozarks, uh, sort of. Too many mosquitoes, though. All right. So yesterday we were speaking with Mark Joseph Stern of Slate, who uh, wrote a very clear article about just how wrong everyone is who does not like daylight savings time. In fact, I think he called them idiots if they <laughs> didn't like daylight savings time. In a good-natured way. Yeah. It wasn't me, right? It was Mark who called them idiots. It was Mark. It might have been me. In any (laughs) event, uh, I did tell people to send him email or uh, contact him on Twitter with complaints. And yet I heard from people anyway. Peggy B writes in to say, hi, Brad, longtime supporter. Just had to say when I was characterized by your guest as being stupid for not wanting daylight savings time. I have to say I like my light at standard time. A.M. is my time. I realize I'm in the minority and would not fight year-round daylight savings time. She is, of course, totally wrong. (laughs) She goes on to say, just saying, 
Love your show. Thanks so much, Peggy. <laughs> well, maybe, you know what? Maybe she's not that wrong. <laughs> Uh, thanks for the note, Peggy. Uh, email from Ted T., who is actually a sailor. He says, Brad, you and David Joseph really are the idiots in terms of daylight savings time and standard time. He means Mark Joseph Stern. But still, yes. Uh, maybe this is because as a sailor, I learned celestial navigation, where the boat's position is determined mm. by time. Time thus has to be standardized, and to do so, the entire navigation world adopted Greenwich Standard Time. Daylight savings time, says Ted, is an aberration imposed on the real world. Where I live in the western edge of the eastern time zone, high noon is 45 minutes past 12 o'clock. At, of standard time and one o'clock of daylight say, daylight time. So looking at a clock gives a false image of where the sun is in the sky. All of these time zones were created for communication and transportation purposes, for example, train schedules within a zone. The time mandates industrial and commercial activity. However, time has no effect on agriculture activity. Someone proposed that daylight savings time saves energy, when they pushed uh, the time back during the energy crisis of the 70s, I remember watching kids queue up for the bus in the in pitch dark. Lights were blazing all over town. I thought it was crazy and doubted any energy savings. Do you know the uh, definitive answer on that? Desi yeah, Doyen? I think that it's not actually true. I think that's a myth. That it does not save it energy It does not actually save all? energy. What it does is it makes uh, people more likely to go out and shop afterwards. So it's actually a benefit for, uh, for business rather than an actual energy efficiency thing. Ted goes on to say, Say in our modern world of instantaneous communications and computers, it would be trivial to operate on two times, Greenwich Standard and calculated solar time. So we would go to work at 8 or 9 o'clock in our local area. This is how time was organized before the railroads. Scheduled, uh, schedules not in the uh, local area, of course, would be kept by Greenwich. So what he seems to be saying is that we should not only have, what is it, about four time zones across the continental U.S., but we should have local times instead everywhere, wherever we are, and then use Greenwich time when we want to... You interact with other yeah. well he, he may be making that argument you know and it's true that time I, is a construct of the human mind time doesn't actually <laughs> so, exist except in as he mentions a celestial see, fashion this is what's so happened to the broadcast since california <laughs> has legalized marijuana now we're talking about time as a conceptual idea I wrote back to Ted. I said, you're saying there would be more time zones and that everyone would keep their own local time zones based on the sun? And then he went on to argue that, yes, that would be the case, but that that's not hard with the, everybody has GPS and smartphones and computers that would all keep their own local time. And then we would have uh, otherwise, if you needed to talk to someone across the country or plan a meeting, you would tell them you would meet them at Greenwich uh, Mean Time. Greenwich uh, Universal Coordinated Time. Hmm. So, uh, sounds nightmarish to me, but uh, Ted T. in Apalachicola, Florida, is in favor of the idea. I told him it sounds nightmarish, uh, but uh, he's... Uh, and asked him if he was trying to drive me insane, <laughs> which not is a, a short drive. drive. Exactly. Um, in any event, he's not the only one who noted that, by the way. Uh, Daryl F. also wrote in to talk about coordinated universal time. He says, because it's the time. 
the time for coordinated universal time. He said, you want to get up early? Fine. You want to get up late? Also fine. Live your life as you see fit, but don't F with the motion of the universe. Think aviation, he says. He's totally wrong as well. <laughs> he goes on to say, FYI, I like your show. Oh, yeah. He's totally right now. I've changed my mind about him as well. Say hi to Desi. Hi. Take care. Daryl. Thank well, you, Daryl. Very interesting ideas. Very interesting. Interesting and terrible. Every single one of them. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. Uh, two of them were good because they said they liked the show. Ted and down in Florida. I don't know about him. All right. Uh, we got to get out and get back with our latest green news report for which you will. You never get any uh, complaint mail from GNR, do you? Not really. Except on the Twitters. I've noticed some on the Twitters. Some well, deniers that's on mostly the Twitters. because I say things like, hey, this flooding in Nebraska could have been helped if we'd had a Green New Deal to introduce more flood control infrastructure and upgrade our infrastructure. And I got a lot of blowback from a lot of right-wingers and climate science deniers who were against that idea. What's your Twitter name? Green News Report. There it is. Send her your complaints today. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stand by for the Green News Report. Hey, this is Brad. If you haven't noticed by now, it's no easy feat finding facts, real facts, not alternative facts, over your public airwaves. We try to bring you real facts, truth, and clarity without fear or favor each and every day on the broadcast. But we need your help to do it, and that help is needed more now than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thanks. So we've had some fun on today's program, but that all now comes to an end as you go in with uh, today's Green News report. One disaster, really. Oi, after fossil fuel related disaster after another on today's Green News report. Traveling between cities is going to be very, very difficult. Devastating floods in the upper Midwest as Missouri River blows through levees. More than 1,000 people may have died. Powerful cyclone plows across Mozambique. The best officials can hope for right now is to keep the other tanks around the seven that are on fire from catching on fire. Petrochemical refinery fire spreads toxic smoke in Houston. Plus... The kids' climate strike that was heard round the world. I hope it was. All of those catastrophes and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, for many people who live in the West, but also in rural and urban areas, the ideas behind the Green New Deal are tantamount to genocide. Tantamount to genocide? Congressman Rob Bishop of Utah? Really? Isn't that just a bit of an overstatement? That may be an overstatement, but not by a whole lot. Actually, by a whole lot. On the other hand, climate change? That's tantamount. Well, you don't care. This is your Green News Report.
Okay, Desi Doyen, boy, that's a whole lot of disasters you got there in our teaser today. Yeah, unfortunately, it's true. Then there is a growing humanitarian disaster unfolding in the southeastern African nations of Zimbabwe, Malawi, and Mozambique after powerful Cyclone E-Day struck overnight on Sunday, causing widespread damage to transportation infrastructure, electricity, communications, and fresh water access, particularly in the metropolitan area of Bera, Mozambique, which which suffered a direct hit. The International Red Cross reports that 90% of the city of Bera has been, quote, completely destroyed. Hundreds are confirmed dead, but the death toll is likely to climb as high as 1,000. 1,000 dead from one single cyclone. Yep. Here in the U.S., we have the most widespread flooding damage at least in a half century, maybe in our entire state's history. Thousands of families have been forced to evacuate in Nebraska, Iowa, and Missouri, and at least two people have been killed in historic floods along the upper Missouri River caused by a record bomb cyclone late last week. The storm rapidly intensified in less than 24 hours, thus the bomb cyclone name, and dumped record snowfall in Wyoming and Nebraska. But the rain melted the the snowpack, compounding the flooding. The flood shattered records in Nebraska, tearing up bridges, roads, levees, and dams, swamping sewage and water treatment systems. On NPR, Nebraska's Republican Governor Pete Ricketts warned that the flooding could potentially get even worse. All of the levees are compromised in at least some way, so we're very concerned about the ability for those levees to hold. You know, we're two, three, four feet over the tops of the levees. And this is also affecting a number of military bases where, as I understand it, after record flooding in 2015, they built levees to deal with thousand-year floods, but those levees have been overtopped by about four or five feet? Yes. U.S. Air Force Strategic Command at Offutt Air Force Base in Omaha, Stratcom, was flooded despite those new flood controls. This comes just five months after Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida sustained more than $5 billion in damages from Hurricane Michael, a storm that also underwent rapid intensification. And by the way, this flooding is not over yet. More evacuations are in store as those floodwaters head downstream. Donald Trump was putting together a presidential blue ribbon commission to respond to the u.s military and their warnings about climate change being a danger to national security and military bases will they be meeting while all of this is going on probably not hmm in other news, outside of Houston, Texas, classes were canceled and residents ordered to shelter in place due to a cloud of toxic smoke from a major fire that broke out on Sunday morning at a petrochemical refinery plant. Officials say the fire will burn for at least two more days. No injuries were reported and the cause is under investigation. It is the third refinery fire in the United States in two days, one in Los Angeles and another one in the Houston area. Finally, some good news. Teens around the world staged a global climate strike on Friday, walking out of school to demand their governments take action on climate change. More than 1.4 million teens in at least 123 countries organized and marched in more than 1,600 events worldwide, including more than 130 U.S. cities. 16-year-old Swedish teen climate activist and now Nobel Peace Prize nominee Greta Thunberg, who inspired the strike, told CNN that they will keep the pressure on. I think just that we should just continue until they do something because this is not a one-time thing. We are not just protesting to, to let them see that we care. We are 
processing until they do something. We are going to put pressure on them. Good, Greta. Please do keep the pressure on. I'll tell you, had they heard today's Green News report, we would have had twice as many kids out there (laughs) in the street around the world. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us, follow us, and share us planet-wide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyne. And this has been your Green News Report. So we once again hope the kids will save us all. Yeah, you know, and this this has the potential to be their, their Vietnam as far as protests and fighting for their future goes. Hope they keep the pressure on. So uh, to review today, uh, underwater, under pressure, and under the gun. There you go. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. Thanks to all of you for, for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It's greatly appreciated. If you missed any portion of today's program, download it anytime for free. Share it with your friends and family at bradblog.com or your favorite podcast site. We're available everywhere, or we should be. If we're not, you should complain to your favorite podcast site. You can drop me email if you like. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. Though be aware... I may read them and respond to them on air and make fun of you in the bargain. You can also uh, find, follow, and share what we do here on the Bradcast. I am on the Facebooks and the Twitters at the Brad Blog. And as ever, my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us stay on your public airwaves and continue what we try to do with uh, good humor and much accuracy and facts that hopefully don't drive you crazy, but drive you to maybe take some action and uh, spread the good word. So uh, thanks to those who stopped by bradblog.com slash donate, where you can make a one-time donation of any amount you like, or even better, sign up for a monthly subscription for any amount you like. We don't send you out any gifts, but we do send you our thanks, and we let you listen to the program for free whether you subscribe or not. That's it. Until we meet again tomorrow, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Pressure. Pressure.